You're listening to The Living Word with Danny Hodges of Calvary Chapel Fellowship in St. Pete. After he said, son, your sins are forgiven. Why is this guy talking like that? They're thinking this. They're not saying it. They're just thinking it. And that's when he says, okay, why are you thinking that? So that you may know the Son of Man has authority. And then he says to the paralytic, get up, take your mat. And he gets up and he takes his mat and he goes home. First lesson in the story, and it's a good one. He's God. Jesus is God. I wrote a whole booklet about it, giving you verse after verse after verse, proving from the Bible. If someone started talking to you about what you're thinking without you saying a word, you'd probably start listening. Couple that with impossible miracles and healings. And if that same person claimed to be God's son, don't you think you'd believe them? Yet as Pastor Danny will point out in today's message, many of those who witnessed Jesus' ministry and life firsthand were so stubborn and set on saving themselves that they couldn't see the Messiah right in front of them. Now here's Pastor Danny in the book of Mark, chapter 2, as he begins his message, Man's Greatest Need. Please go with me to Mark's Gospel, chapter 2. We could continue with the subject of prayer, uh, uh, but we feel like we should move on. And so chapter 2 of Mark is where we are. It begins this way a few days later when Jesus again entered Capernaum. The people heard that he had come home. Home because that's where he based himself out of in his public ministry. He would go out from there. He would come back to there. So many gathered that there was no room left, not even outside the door. I mean, this is a crowded place. And every time I read it or teach it, I wonder whose house was this? Because it's getting trashed. (laughs) And he preached the word to them. Luke chapter 4 verse 16 tells us this was Jesus' custom to teach and preach the word of God. Some men came bringing to him a paralytic. Carried by four of them, so we don't know how many total, but there's the paralytic, four men carrying him, and there are probably others with them. Since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus, and after digging through it, lowered the mat the paralyzed man was on. And that's determination. Roofs in these days weren't made like our American roofs. If somebody broke through this one today, God bless them. That would be quite a task. Much easier to break through in those days. And so they would break through the the outer surface and then through the dirt. and, And you just imagine what the scene was like. Here's Jesus teaching. It's a packed house. I mean, outside at the door, people are jammed up against the door. And in the middle of his teaching, you notice there's something falling. 
and there's a hole and the hole gets bigger and it gets big enough that they are able to lower this paralytic on his mat down into that crowded room. Now, sometimes it's good to compare gospel accounts of different stories, and for this one, I think it's helpful. Uh, Come back to Mark in just a moment, but go with me to Luke's gospel, chapter 5. Luke, chapter 5, same situation. Verse 17, one day as he was teaching, Pharisees and teachers of the law who had come from every village of Galilee and from Judea and Jerusalem were sitting there along with everybody else in that crowded house. And the power of the Lord was present for him to heal the sick. And you have to believe that the reason these guys go to so much trouble to get this paralytic to Jesus is because they, as well as the paralytic himself, is expecting, desiring for Jesus to heal him. He had healed lots of people. And the power of the Lord is there to heal. Some men came, verse 18, Luke's account, carrying a paralytic on a man and tried to take him into the house to lay him before Jesus. When they could not find a way to do this because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and lowered lowered him on his mat through the tiles into the middle of the crowd. Now here's what Luke adds, right in front of Jesus. I don't know if these guys are that good or if they just get lucky because the section of roof they tear off when they let him down. I mean, in this crowded room, this guy is right in front of Jesus. And there is anticipation. And no doubt the anticipation is (laughs) this guy came on a mat. He's going away under his own power. And I don't think anybody in that room is ready for what happens next. Mark's gospel chapter two, verse five. When Jesus saw their faith, pause, pause, When Jesus saw their faith, could be a message in itself, just a simple encouragement, not a whole message, their faith, our faith can help others. Their faith is in Jesus. We have to include the paralytic as well. And what is their faith? Again, in the context of scripture, I think their faith is Jesus can heal this guy. He's healed so many people. They have faith in Jesus. And listen, We ought to do everything we can to get people to Jesus. When he saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, and this is what I don't think anybody is anticipating. Jesus says to the paralytic, son, your sins are forgiven. And I believe that when he said that, at least with some, if not all, in that room, there's an initial disappointment. Because I don't think that's what they came for. I mean, overall, I don't think that's what what they're anticipating. They're bringing him to Jesus. They're breaking through the roof. They're going to all this trouble because he's paralyzed. And they want to see him healed. And he wants to be healed. And yet Jesus doesn't heal him. He says, son, your sins are forgiven. What a skewed perspective we naturally have on our needs. Two people last night's service, one right here in a wheelchair and one right here in a wheelchair. This lady's name was Sandy, still is. 
I said to both of them, I said, I'm sorry, you're in a wheelchair. And if God gave me the faith, I would say in the name of Jesus Christ, rise and walk. He didn't give me that kind of faith to say that. But I said to them, you may be in those wheelchairs, but you could be the most healthy people here. Mark 8, 36, Jesus said, what shall it profit a man if he gains the whole world and yet loses his soul? Mark 9, 45, listen to this one. It's better for you to enter life crippled than to have two feet and be thrown into hell. Psalm 103. Listen to the opening lines. Praise the Lord or bless the Lord, O my soul. All my inmost being, praise his holy name. Praise the Lord, O my soul, my inmost being. And forget not all his benefits. Now, if you understand how to interpret scripture correctly, hermeneutics, then... What you're talking about here and what the psalmist is talking about is the soul, the innermost being. He's not talking about the body. He's talking about the soul. Next line. Praise the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Who forgives all your sins, the sins of your soul, sins of your innermost being, and heals all your diseases, the diseases of your soul. Who redeems your life from the pit. He's talking about the soul. What will it profit a man if he gains the whole world? Lose your soul. Back to the story. It gets better. <laughs> Verse 6, Mark chapter 2. Now some teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves, why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? That's a great point. And let me suggest to you, not suggest, let me tell you, they're right. They were wrong about a lot of things, but they're right about this one. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Great point. Verse 8. Immediately Jesus knew in his spirit that this was what they were thinking in their hearts. And he said to them, why are you thinking these things? Which is easier, to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up, take your mat, and walk. Now, in a way, it's a trick question. It's not meant to be trick, but, but it's that way in terms of the way we would say it's a trick question. Because <laughs> if I were to say to you, ma'am, your sins are forgiven. If I would have said to Sandy last night in a wheelchair, your sins are forgiven. Some people would go, who are you? Who are you? How are you? But if I said, okay, to prove to you, to prove to you. Sandy, get up out of your wheelchair and walk. And if she got up out of her wheelchair, everybody would say, hey, you got some authority there, pal. And look at what happens. But that you may know, verse 10, that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. And at this point is when I again pray and hope that we have DVDs in heaven because I want to see this DVD. <laughs> so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. He got up. <laughs> he took his mat, and he walked out in full view of them all. This amazed everyone, and they praised God, saying, we've never seen anything like this. Son of Man is a messianic title. It's taken from Daniel chapter 7, verses 13 and 14. Let me read it. 
Daniel says, in my vision at night I looked, and there before me was one like a son of man. In other words, he looks human. Coming with the clouds of heaven, he approached the Ancient of Days and was led into his presence. He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All peoples, nations, and men of every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. Every Jew knew this verse, and especially the teachers of the law and the Pharisees. It's a messianic verse. At Jesus' trial, Matthew 26 records for us that many people came forward to accuse him, falsely of course, but they accused him and he remained silent. And then the high priest, high priest is frustrated and he commands Jesus, you tell us right now, are you the Christ or not? Now, under the law of Moses, if the high priest demands that you speak and that you answer, If you do not answer, you've broken the law. And Jesus, of course, never broke the law. And so the priest says, you tell us right now, are you the Christ? And we have recorded what Jesus said. Matthew 26, verse 62. In the future, you will see the Son of Man. Ooh, the Son of Man. Sitting at the right hand of the Mighty One and coming on the clouds of heaven. He's quoting from Daniel chapter 7, verses 13 and 14. And then the high priest tore his clothes. And he turns to his peers and he said, what do you guys think? And they said, he deserves to die because they accused him of blaspheming because they knew what he was claiming. He's claiming to be the Messiah. Wouldn't your first clue that you're not dealing with a normal human being be the fact that he knows what you're thinking, even though you haven't verbalized it? He knew what they were thinking after he said, son, your sins are forgiven. Why is this guy talking like that? That's, they're thinking this. They're not saying it. They're just thinking it. And that's when he says, okay, why are you thinking that? So that you may know the Son of Man has authority. And then he says to the paralytic, get up, take your mat. And he gets up and he takes his mat and he goes home. First lesson in the story, and it's a good one. He's God. Jesus is God. I wrote a whole booklet about it, giving you verse after verse after verse, proving from the Bible that Jesus is God. And he's not God with a little g. That's the Jehovah's Witness Jesus. I'm not slandering them. I'm just telling you the truth. That's the Jesus they believe in. He's Jesus with a little God, little little g, little g. He's a little God. They say he had a beginning. He's the firstborn of Elohim. Well, firstborn means the preeminent one, not the first one born. That's what the Greek term means. Jesus is without beginning of days or end of life. He's a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. He's God, very God, capital G, capital O, capital D. And the evidence is so overwhelming, I don't understand how anybody can deny it. But you have people still today just like these religious leaders in this room and seeing and witnessing testimony to the truth, and yet some are so blind. None are so blind as those who just will not see. And some people, you can put all the evidence in front of them you want about the truth, especially regarding who Jesus is, and they will not accept it. I mean, my goodness. John Chapter 5, not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. John's Gospel, chapter 8, 
Fascinating text. Verse 56. Jesus said, though you do not know him, my father, I know him. If I said I did not, I'd be, liar. I'd be a liar like you. But I do know him and keep his word. Your father Abraham rejoiced at the thought of seeing my day. He saw it and was glad the day the word became flesh. You are not yet 50 years old, the Jews said to him. And you've seen Abraham? I tell you the truth, Jesus answered. Before Abraham was born, and then Jesus makes this statement. It's the statement God answered Moses when Moses said, whom shall I say sent me when they ask who sent you? Well, you tell them, I am. And Jesus said, before Abraham was born, I am. And at this, they picked up stones to stone him because they knew what he was claiming. He's claiming to be equal with Jehovah God. John chapter 10, verse 27. My sheep listen to my voice. I know them. They follow me. I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. No one can snatch them out of my hand. My father who has given them to me is greater than all. No one can snatch them out of my father's hand. I and the father are one. Again, the Jews picked up stones to stone him. And Jesus said to them, I've shown you many great miracles from the Father. For which of these do you stone me? They said, we're not stoning you for any of these, replied the Jews, but for blasphemy because you, a mere man, claim to be God. Folks, the, the evidence is overwhelming. He's either God or he's a liar. You know what else you learn from the story? Jesus has authority to forgive sins. As a matter of fact, you can't be forgiven except through him. Acts chapter 4. There's no salvation is found in no one else. There's no other name given under heaven to men by which we must be saved. Timothy. There's one God, one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus who gave himself as a ransom for all men. That's the only way you can be forgiven. It's through Jesus. And then we learn this. That's our greatest need. Your greatest need is not physical. Your greatest need is not even having your marriage restored. Now, God wants to do that. You get your marriage restored and, and your soul still has a problem, then you, you, that marriage is going to end one day. You're going to live on for all eternity. He heals the problems in your family. And God wants to help heal the problems in your family if we're willing to let him do it. But if he does that, and you know, we let him do that, and, you, and your soul still has an issue, then you've got an eternal problem. See, forgiveness is our greatest need. Doesn't it all mean that God doesn't care about our physical needs here and now, but that's not our greatest need, not physical. Um, for those who don't receive forgiveness in this life through the Savior, uh, the Bible says that if you die in this life without salvation, you will end up in a place called hell. Jesus says it's a place of fire. But I understand the day we're living in. I understand some people, maybe even you. You're in a church service, but you go, I, I, I believe in God. No, I believe in Jesus. I don't even believe in hell. And, and then you can believe that. You can believe that if you want. You don't have to believe in hell. And then the Bible says uh, those who die in this life end up in hell. And then ultimately they stand before uh, what's called the great white throne judgment. Revelation talks about it. And all those uh, who were in hell now are cast into the lake of fire, which is the second death. And you go, I don't believe in that lake of fire stuff. That's metaphorical. 
not literal, not literal, like a fire. And you don't have to believe that if you don't believe, you don't believe in hell, you don't believe in lake of fire, that, you, you can believe that. You can believe whatever you want. That's what the Bible says. I'm listening to this message by Tim Keller, and he mentions this book called The Trial by a fellow named Franz Kafka. I'd never heard of him, never heard of the book. The book's called The Trial. It was written 1914 to 1915. It was published in 1925. And it's a kind of odd story, The Trial. Uh, let me summarize it. On his 30th birthday, a guy who's a chief cashier of a bank, his name is Joseph K. They never give you his last name. Joseph K., so it could be anybody, that's the idea, is unexpectedly arrested by two unidentified agents from an unspecified agency for an unspecified crime. <laughs> the story takes one crazy twist after another before it ends abruptly and in a rather bizarre manner. On the eve of K., Joseph K.'s 31st birthday, two men arrive at his apartment. He's been waiting for them, and he offers little resistance. Indeed, the two men take direction from Kay as he leads them through town to a quarry where the two men place Kay's head on a block. One of the men produces a double-edged butcher knife, and as the two men pass the knife back and forth between them, the narrator tells us that Kay knew then precisely that it would have been his duty to take the knife and thrust it into himself, but he doesn't take the knife. Instead, one of the men grabs him by the shoulder, pulls him up, and the other man takes the knife and stabs him and twists it. And Kay's last words are, like a dog. Great book, huh? <laughs> I heard the message by Tim Keller, and I thought, I'm going to check out this Franz Kafka. And I went online. You can find out just about anything online now. Found out more about Franz Kafka. I, I read several quotes of Franz Kafka. And uh, one quote helps us to understand what he's trying to say in the book, The Trial. And here's the quote. The state in which we find ourselves today is sinful, independent of guilt. I see the look on some of your faces. You're going, could you help me out on this one too? What he's saying is, we know something's wrong with us. We don't believe in hell or judgment eternally or those kind of things, but we know something's not right about us. We don't feel we are going to be judged eternally, but we know something's not right. That's what he means by that statement. That's why he wrote the book, The Trial. That's what he's trying to say. That people have a sense of condemnation no matter what they believe. Why are there broken homes, broken hearts? And broken dreams. Why is it no amount of money and nothing in Hollywood has been able to produce a perfect marriage, a utopian society? I'll tell you why. Because something is wrong with us. And it goes deep. Deep inside. Soul. That's why Isaiah says, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to preach good news to the poor, bind up the brokenhearted, proclaim freedom for the captives, release from darkness for the prisoners. He's come to fix us if we'll let him. Jesus said in John 10, 10, I've come that they might have life and have it. One translation is abundantly. It means to the full, to the max that God originally intended. 
Thanks for joining Pastor Danny today as he walks us through the book of Mark. This New Testament gospel book conveys a fast-paced progression of events that occurred during Jesus' ministry. It's almost as if the writer intended to communicate that Jesus was continually forward-thinking toward the cross and his mission and purpose here on earth. In Mark 10.45, it says, Even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life a ransom for many. This is the ultimate summary of the book of Mark. Jesus came humbly as a servant to reach the lost. Are you feeling lost today? Or have you been found and are following Jesus fully now? No matter what your answer is, we'd love to hear from you. Our email address is info at ccfstpete.church. Let us know how you heard about the living word and how we can be praying for you. That address again is info at ccfstpete.church. If you're in the St. Petersburg area, come join us and hear from Pastor Danny at Calvary Chapel Fellowship. We're holding services each Saturday at 6 p.m. and Sunday mornings at 9 and 11 a.m. You'll find all the information you need on our website, ccfstpete.church. Thanks for tuning in, and we hope that you'll join us again for our next edition, right here on The Living Word.